Thanks for checking out this message from Radiant Life Church. Grab your Bible, a pad of paper, and a pen. Let's dive in. Hey, if you never met me, my name's Ryan. I'm our lead pastor here at Radiant Life. And uh, I'm going to tell you what, I love teaching the Word of God. You know, there are some times where I look in the mirror and go, God, what am I doing? (laughs) What am I doing? Why did you ever call me back to my home city? Why did you ever call me back to the church I never even wanted to come back to? No offense to our church, I just didn't want to come back, right? I mean, I love the Grand Rapids area, big city, lots of things to do, all, you know, semi-professional sports there. I loved being able to go to hockey games and basketball, not, not basketball, what else did we go to? Baseball games and all that stuff. I didn't want to come back to... 11,000 people in Sturgis. Uh, But I look in the mirror and go, God, I know my purpose. And I love being here. As crazy as it sounds, I love being here. I realize I'm not a big city guy. I want to be, but I'm not because traffic drives me crazy, right? There's a right lane for a reason, first and foremost. You know what that's called? It's called the slow lane. Get out of the fast lane and stay in the slow lane. All right, I love the staff member. There's a certain staff member that won't put the Radiant Life burst on their vehicle because of how they drive. Some of you, I see that burst and going, oh, dear God, they come to this church. I see how they're driving. I don't know why I'm saying all this. Because we got a lot of ground to cover today. Um, I love teaching. I just, so you know, I, like this morning, I'm going to get passionate. My face is red because I'm sunburned, not because I'm angry. All right. Uh, we went to Lake Michigan just as a final last day before kids go to school. And I was like, I don't need sunscreen. It's like cloudy and the sun's going in and out of the clouds. I'm good. No, my body told me something else when I got home last night. I'm like putting aloe on. I'm like, ah. I woke up this morning. I was like, my face is so red. I did not realize. So I'm not angry this morning. It's uh, the sun, okay? Hey, if you got your Bible, if you have your phone or tablet, will you turn to the gospel according to Mark chapter 14? All summer long, we've been in a series titled Mark, and uh, we've been looking at the life of Jesus, And uh, next week, we'll be able to wrap it up in chapters 15 and 16 next week. And then after that, it's Labor Day weekend, and college football is back. Yes, right? And then we get to watch. No, 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 go Spartan. No, we don't say that here. (laughs) And uh, uh, (laughs) so that weekend, Labor Day, stay with me. Labor Day weekend on Sunday, uh, what we're going to do Labor Day weekend is just have a worship communion devotion set for us. Then the following week, we're going to start our new series that will be a five-weeker called Controversial Jesus. Tagline, we need to talk. And we're going to engage for five weeks into cultural moments that are confusing Christians, yet we need to look always at the word of Jesus to see what he says. And then I told my staff this. I said, after that, I'm going to run away for two weeks so the hate mail can be answered by someone else, not me. But we will disagree on many topics, but we will disagree in love and grace. And we will act like adults and have those difficult conversations, even though you and I may be looking at the same thing, but we're looking at it with different views. 
But that's for like three more weeks. Right now, oh, I didn't even show you. Uh, we got to get here. Mark 14, we're going to cover cha- uh, verses 17 to 25. I've titled this message, Who is Invited to the Table? If you are there at Mark 14, let me hear you say word. word. We get in the word, so the... Word. And if you are a visitor and you're like, what did they just say? Don't feel bad. We believe that we get into the word of God so the word of God gets inside of us. We don't want it just to come here, to here, to head knowledge. We want it to come from head knowledge into heart transformation. God's word says it's alive and active. It's a double-edged sword. And I love being able to sit there and go, God, this is your word. What do you have to say to us today? Let's look. There's so many things happening in Mark uh, chapter 14. And I don't know why. I just realized this actually, next slide, on, says Mark 9. It's not Mark 9. It's Mark 14, just so you know, okay? So here we go. Mark na- uh, 14, verse... <laughs> That's horrible. Mark 14. I'm in 14 in my Bible. Hopefully you are too. Mark 14, 17. It says this. When evening came, he, referring to Jesus, arrived with the 12, the 12 being his disciples. While they were reclining, they were what, friends? If you are okay and you're one that wants to circle in your Bible, circle that word, highlight that word, underline that word. That word brings significant meaning to what we're going to talk about today. While they were reclining and eating, Jesus said, truly I tell you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. They began to be distressed and say to him one by one, surely not I. He said to them, it is one of the 12, the one who is dipping bread in the bowl with me. For the son of man will go just as it is written about him. But woe to that man by whom the son of man is betrayed. It would have been better for him if he had not been born. Ouch. This is the word of God. What's, what I love about this story is there's so many different clues and nuggets that Mark is giving us, but what you and I have to do to fully appreciate what we just read together, you and I have to jump back 2,000 years and understand first century Judaism. I need you to say something with me this morning. Say, context matters. Ready? Context matters. One more time. Context matters. There are rhythms in lifestyle things that happen in first century Israel that you and I just don't do 2,000 years later. We don't walk everywhere. We get on a bike, we run, we have vehicles. They didn't. Their lifestyle's different. They, cl- they were able to go through cleansing rituals different than what you and I did. They don't have baths all over the place like you and I do in our homes. So things have changed, but in order to appreciate what John is actually saying that's happening, you and I have to go back 2,000 years ago into the first century world that Jesus is living into to understand these small new nuances. Here's an example. This is the Lord's Supper we read together. They're at the Lord's Supper. When you and I think of the Lord's Supper, unfortunately, we think this, which is completely incorrect, by the way. 
And we go, thank you, Da Vinci, for ruining everything we ever thought about the Lord's Supper. What is the key word I told you to circle or highlight? Reclining. Hey, Da Vinci, are they reclining? See, culture's changed. In the first century world, you reclined at, the, at a table. You and I today, we sit like this. So we have to jump back and say, what is their table setting? What does it look like? Why are they reclining? By the way, Dan Brown wrote the book, The Da Vinci Code. Christians were up in arms about this book. And I'm sitting back go, guys, we're all right. First of all, it's fiction. Okay. Second of all, if we know cultural context, his book doesn't matter to us. And we get all up in arms over a picture that's not even biblical. <laughs> so let's dive in together. What is this reclining thing that's happening? All throughout the Gospels, you'll see a lot that Jesus and his disciples or Jesus and his guests or he shows up at a house, they're reclining at a table. Here's the word that you're going to want to write in your Bible and you're down. Write the word triclinium. Let me hear you say triclinium. Triclinium is the meal century in the first century world in Palestine, in Israel, in Judaism. This is what the word means. Tri, which means three, and then clinium, which means couch, chase lounge. So you put it all together. It is a three-sided couch. Ah, we're not talking about the dining room table you and I have. This is completely different. So let's study. Here's a picture of a dining room that was very similar to what Jesus would have been in in this story. What you see here is a beautiful mosaic tile and what's outlined in white would have been where you would have reclined or where the dining table would have been per se. The area in the middle was for the area for servers to bring food. I have a small example here on stage with me. As a server to food, I can serve everyone in this triclinium setting very easily. And everyone's lounging around on these three couches, so to speak. What's interesting about how one was to lay on the couch, which most of the time, these were on the ground or a slight elevated platform, not very high. They would, the three or whoever's at the meal would come and you would recline on your left side. Why your left side? Because you were supposed to be right-handed dominant. If you were a lefty, you were considered weird. Sorry. And so, in the ancient world, you reclined on your left side and you shared a meal together. Now, what is so fascinating about this is there are four positions that were designated to be special at this meal. In a triclinium setting, these are those positions. One through three were right here on the same side. Four was at the very end on the opposite side. Now, I'm going to contest to you that you and I can piece together from all the Gospels exactly where and who is in each spot in the Last Supper in the triclinium setting. 
by looking at all the other gospel writers and trying to figure out what is Jesus doing here in this moment at the Last Supper. So what I'm going to do for about 10 minutes, I need 13. Don't move yet. 13 volunteers. I'm going to ask for men or boys in the room because I'm not being sexist. It's just, it's Jesus and 12 guys. Okay. So I just want to represent that. That's all. And if I don't have 13 men willing to, listen, you get to lay down in church, right? Here's the good thing. And there's treats up here. You are free to eat. I have to entice you with chocolates and Kit Kats and Hershey's and Reese's Pieces and Twizzlers. I got to entice you, okay? So can I just get 13 men or boys, whoever, come on up stage. We need 13 of you. Don't all rush the stage at one time, okay? One. This is great. And, and I, I want to apologize, it is tight. So men, you're going to have to snuggle a little bit. Okay, there we go. What else? Oh man, we need a lot more. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. I need four more. I'm not a math teacher. Nine, ten, eleven. I'm off counting now, aren't I? Because that was just four. Uh, what, uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. One more. One more. Yeah, that's 12. Unless I'm counting wrong. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. 10, 11, 12. I need one more. Why one more? We got 12 disciples in Jesus. 12 plus one is 13. Thank you. Choose wherever you want. Gentlemen, enjoy, eat, just be quiet while I'm speaking. All right. So. Our nine o'clock service, they're all chit-chatting. I'm like, be quiet. All right. So here you have this triclinium setting where they're reclining on their left side. This three-sided couch, and we know at least that there are four designated positions in this setting. The very first to note is this. The host is always the second one in. Who's the host of the Last Supper? Come on, yeah, that's easy, right? He tells his disciples, hey, you got to go prepare this meal. Go into that town, find that guy. That guy, tell him I need the upper room. And then I'm going to have this, my dinner I've been eagerly desiring to have with you all, right? We know he's the second one in. One, two, you are Jesus, okay? Just keep your head small, though. Humility, humility. Just clothe yourself in humility right now, okay? He's Jesus. The second one in in the triclinium setting was the host, this being Jesus. Now, again, I would contest you, we know all the other positions based on all the details all the other gospel writers give us. Why do the gospel writers give us good detail? Because you and I got to understand, again, first century Judaism and what their dining room table looked like. So let's look at John. John gives us two significant details in John chapter 13. And here's what John says in his. He says, one of his disciples, the one Jesus loved. Now, who is that? That's John, right? It's his nickname that he gives himself. I'm the one Jesus loved. Was reclining close beside Jesus. It continues, Simon Peter motioned to him to find out who he was talking about, right? Who wants to know? Like, hey, ask him, like, who's going to betray him? So he 
leaned back against Jesus and asked him, Lord, who is it? He already knows, right? There's only one position this could possibly be that can lean back. The original text actually says to lean back against his chest. There is only one position that could possibly be that where John is sitting. John is right here at the end of the triclinium. Now, this is what's fascinating. That position was to be held by the host's right-hand man. Wait a minute. If you know anything about the disciples, you and I are probably thinking the same thing. That should be Peter. Peter's like the oldest of the disciples. He's the leader. He's given all this stuff from Jesus. Like It would make sense that this would be Peter, I would contest to you, Jesus has something in store for Peter. That's, that's why Peter's not there. I would also contest to you that John has one of the most special relationships with Jesus. John is part of the inner three, Peter, James, and John. There's only one disciple at the crucifixion. Who's that? John. And Jesus looks at John and says, behold your mom, mom, behold your son. He gives John the responsibility to take care of his mom. But I love what John gives us another detail. It says this, Simon Peter motioned to him, John, to find out who he was talking about. Here's what's fascinating about this. Absolutely fascinating. My brother here eating Reese's Pieces Oh, you can still eat them. You don't have to give them away. <laughs> right here at the end of the table, this is the only spot that you can see everyone very clearly. That's the clearest sight of everyone. Right? This is the worst sight of everyone. The right-hand man. I would contest to you that Peter is in this spot who can easily motion to John, who John only has the clear eyesight for. And here's what this role is. It's the servant role. Why is the end of the triclinium the servant role? Because he sees everyone and he knows what all you guys need. And at this meal, John gives us detail too that says this. Who is the disciple that has the biggest issue that Jesus washes all their feet? Makes sense. It would have been the role of the servant. And it says Jesus gets up from this meal and begins, and Peter's like, no, Jesus, not my feet. I would contest because Peter knows that's my role. I'm the servant. You put me here. And earlier in the gospel of Matthew, Jesus says this, he calls them over, referring to his disciples and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and those in high positions act as tyrants over them. But it must not be like that among you. In other words, you're going to lead differently. He says, on the contrary, however, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life 
as a ransom for many. Hey, Peter, one day, the Christian faith, you will be that guy. You, will, you don't know, but centuries from now, they're going to build a massive cathedral and call it the St. Peter's Basilica. You're the one I've given authority to. You're the one I actually said the keys of heaven belong to you. You wait, but I got to give you a lesson because this is my last time with the 12. The greatest among you must be willing to serve. Peter, you have no idea what your greatness is going to be. I need you. One last lesson. Be the servant, not my right-hand man. Because my right-hand man, John, he's going to take on a lot with my mother. I also think Matthew gives one other clue on who someone is. Actually, Mark gave the same clue. There's one other position we're wondering who you are, the third position. Matthew says this, the one, this is Jesus saying, it's the one who dipped his hand with me in the bowl. He's the betrayer. I mean, I don't blame you, I'd cover my face too, brother. <laughs> so in the triclinium setting, you would pair up in threes or fours. The bowl definitely would be in front of the hosts. You guys dig, you guys would dig together, you guys would dig, and so on and so forth and share. The third position, I would contest to you through Matthew and Mark's details that that right there is Judas. As Jesus would dip bread in the bowl and go, you're sharing with me on the left, dip, dip. You're sharing with me on the right. And guess what position this is? It's the guest of honor. What is Jesus doing? John, the right-hand man in this moment, Jesus the host, Judas. Oh, Judas. Jesus says, it's better for you to have not been born. But I could possibly have you at the guest of honor at my table, knowing you're going to betray me. Can we thank these guys for being up here, being participants? You guys can grab the candy if you want. Thank you, guys. Thank you, thank you. Thank you. There's a reason why parents don't call their kids Judas anymore, so I'm glad. I don't know about you, but if I was hosting this meal and I was Jesus, and I'm laying in the host spot, you know who nowhere near me is? My betrayer. And if I'm honest, my flesh may get the best of me. I wouldn't even invite my betrayer to this table. Go somewhere else. Go somewhere else, Judas. But what I think Jesus is trying, one of the points we can get out of this triclinium setting in the Last Supper is this. No matter what you've done, you're invited to the table. You're invited to his table. And as I was studying this week, I was just blown away. I was sitting on my front porch, which by the way, I think we ought to bring the front porch back. 
get out of the backyard and the fence and start sitting on the front porch and be a community and be a light for Jesus Christ. That's a sidebar, sorry. Everything changed when the front porch became the back patio. In our culture, everything began to change. Bring it back. By the way, I was sitting out there. That's why I sit out there. I'm like, I'm changing it. It's going to take one. I'm sitting out there. So you can honk when you go by my house. And uh, if I have earbuds, I may not hear you because they are noise-canceling earbuds. So if I don't wave, I'm not being a jerk. I promise. I'm sitting out there. I'm like, God, we're invited to the table. Jesus, obviously, you are the son of God. You are fully man and fully God yet. So much better than I am because I wouldn't invite Judas. (laughs) And here's the crazy part. Jesus knows everything you will ever do, and he still invites you to the table. (laughs) What you did last night, (laughs) he invites you to his table. What you did two months ago, two years ago, 20 years ago, he says, you are invited to my table because grace is bigger than holding a grudge. And you're invited to the table. I want to ask you a question. Who's invited to your table? I wrestled with this. Because here's the simple answer. People like me. Because I'm comfortable with people who look like me. Have the same belief system I do. I'm comfortable with that. And I tend to say that's where it's at. Only people are invited to my table who look like me. And man, was Jesus wrecking me this week. But look who I had at my table. Yes, the one who I loved. But I also had Peter, the one who would deny me. I had Judas, the one who would betray me. And I had Thomas, the one who doubted me at the table. Ouch. And if I'm being honest, it's a whole lot easier to hold the great grudge than to offer grace. What about that one person who hurt you deeply? And that name comes up and you know immediately your heart looks like it's got roots of bitterness all over. Are they still invited to your table? Grudge or grace? Worship team, make your way up. By the way, we're not done. We still got some verses, but there's going to be some songs and I'm going to come up in between songs. But I want to ask you a question this morning. Think about this. Do you love Jesus? Man, maybe for some of you, it's been like just a fresh awakening with Jesus. Like you were new in your faith and you're like, absolutely, I can say yes. Or others of you, you've been walking with Jesus for 30 years and you're just growing and you just love Jesus more and more each and every day. Do you love Jesus? Listen, you're invited to the table. Have you ever questioned Jesus before? Jesus, my life does not look good right now. I can't get my marriage to work. I can't get my kids to do what they want to do. 
Kids make fun of me at school. Is this really worth it, Jesus? You ever question Jesus? You're still invited to the table. Have you ever denied Jesus? Denied him in a sense that you know in this moment the Spirit of God is tugging on your heart to talk about Jesus in front of that coworker or friend or teammate. And you know. And you slide back out of that conversation and you don't bring up Jesus. And you go, man. It feels like I denied him in that moment. And that was a divine opportunity. And then the rhema, the spoken word of God that the spirit of God uses plants in your heart and you're reminded of that verse when Jesus says, deny me before the father. Or deny me in front of others, I'll deny you before the father. But acknowledge me before others, I'll acknowledge you before the father. I've had that happen. Even your pastor that doesn't always live into a holy boldness moment. I backed away. And if you've ever been there, you're still invited to the table. You ever betrayed Jesus? You've turned your back on him? You're still invited to the table. He still died for you. You ever turn your back on Jesus, but thank God the hound of heaven has pursued you and brought you back. You're invited to his table. Pastor Ryan, how do I get to his table? I'm thankful that God says, everyone's invited to my table when the blood of my my body covers you. don't earn a seat at the table you receive your seat at the table there's nothing you can do there's no striving there's no I'm trying to be the best me I can none of that you just receive the blood of Jesus over you and you have a seat at his table Colossians 1.20 says this, and through him, referring to Jesus, and through him to reconcile everything to himself, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. The blood of Jesus invites you to take your seat at the table. Ephesians 1.7, in him, Jesus, we have redemption. How? Through the blood of Jesus we have the forgiveness of sins because of the blood of Jesus according to the riches of his grace he is showering us as John writes grace upon grace showering you so you have a seat at his table first John says this and the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us from all of our sin and with that cleansing you can receive your seat at the table 
Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have boldness to enter the sanctuary, how can we come to the Holy of Holies, the sanctuary into God's presence through the blood of Jesus? That's how you're invited to the table. Therefore, Jesus also suffered outside the gate, referring to the gate that surrounded Jerusalem on Golgotha's hill so that he might sanctify you and I. How? By his blood. Sanctified. No longer a sinner. I'm sanctified by the blood of Christ. To him who loves us and set us free from our sins. How? By the blood of Jesus. How much more then? Since we have been justified, a legal term, that when Jesus sees or God sees you, he doesn't see your sin. He sees you're clothed in his son, Jesus Christ. You've been justified how? By the blood of Jesus. You can take your seat at the table because of the blood of Jesus. Mark 14, 22. As they were eating, he took bread, blessed and broke it, gave it to them and said, take it. This is my body. Then he took a cup and after giving thanks, he gave it to them and they all drank from it. And he said to them, this is the blood of the covenant. <laughs> this word covenant, covenant means agreement and Jesus is saying there's a new covenant it's my blood for the forgiveness of sins it's my blood to sanctify you it's my blood that justifies you right standing before God and look at it he says this it's poured out for many I'm glad I'm part of that many (laughs) it's part of the many Truly, I tell you, though, I'll no longer drink of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. See, in the upper room in the triclinium, Jesus was telling his disciples there's something new. There's a new covenant. They didn't get it in the moment. They had no idea what was going to transpire 14 hours later, less than 14 hours no idea that Jesus would die the most horrific way in the ancient world being Roman crucifixion see before this your relationship with God was dependent upon the obedience to the law this is why the Pharisees that you and I read in the Gospels. This is why they came up with 613 extra little rules to make sure you followed the law because your relationship was dependent upon the obedience to the law. And Jesus says, no, no, no. This relationship is now dependent on the blood of me. Everything changes now. 
because Jesus knew something about the law, what the law couldn't do, but what his blood would do. And blood would conquer sin and the law can't. It needed the perfect sacrifice, the atoning sacrifice to buy us back into right relationship with our Heavenly Father. Thanks for listening to this message from Radiant Life Church. To get to know us better, check out the Radiant Life. Church. Be sure to follow us on Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram.